And I don't know about you, I just never get tired of encountering God. The angels that circle Isaiah 6 says, the angel of the Lord was circling the seraphim. They were circling God's throne and His presence. And Isaiah sees that he's carried up into the realm of glory. And he sees these angels and they repeat for eternity the nonstop phrase, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is filled with His glory. And you may wonder how you could say that not just for an hour but for an eon, for endless measurements of time. How can their praise be real? How can it be spontaneous? How can it be genuine if it's only that phrase? But, but here's what I understand. God is so massively beautiful. God is so vast in all of His attributes that the angels, as they're circling God's presence, every time, every new corner, they see something they've never seen before in God. And spontaneously, there's an eruption in their heart, and they cry out, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. And then they share with us the mind of God concerning our planet, that this earth does not belong to the devil. The devil did not make New Zealand. The devil did not create her beautiful mountains and, and, and rivers and lakes, beautiful trees, all the things that, that make you unique. It was God and that God's glory is here and God is awakening the glory of New Zealand for His glory. The earth is filled with the glory of the Lord and in here in the land, the beautiful land, just called the land of the Holy Spirit, or is that Australia? I don't want to refer to anything Australian tonight. <laughs> Land of the long white cloud. God, thank you for what you've done in New Zealand. But the best is yet to come. Thank you, God, that you're doing something wonderful. God is so attracted to people that are humble enough to seek him, to surrender to him. To worship Him, to be passionate about their worship of Him, to pray to Him. God loves people that seek Him. And just for a couple moments tonight, I'm going to share something. We're just going to pray for uh, anything that moves in the auditorium tonight. And uh, how many of you were not here this morning? Would you wave your hand at me because I'm trying to measure it. Yeah. So, Lord, we just forgive all these people in Jesus' name. <laughs> J just kidding. I'm not going to uh, do that message again. Maybe if you get a chance, you can listen to it. Because God's called you to be a curse breaker. And this nation is having a spectacular season of freedom. I want to read my, my, my little title to you. Just something I dropped in my heart for you guys is 276 Miracles. I'll be reading from the book of Acts. You could keep playing if you want to. You don't, guys don't have to stand up here, though. Thank you. I'm going to call you back, though, because you're so awesome. Is that the Revolution Band or group? No. That's just the worship team. You guys rock here. Okay, Acts chapter 27. Paul was in journey to a meeting that God had ordained with he and Caesar. Because part of Paul's commissioned calling was to minister to kings. The Lord said to him as Paul recited it in his testimony, 
that God had called him to minister to the Gentiles and to kings. And they, the, the, the distinction is important because some people are called to minister to people in government. Some people have an anointing there, just like Pastor has an anointing in this city as an apostolic leader. Some people are called to move apostolically in government. And so Paul has that calling, and, and he's on his way, and they take off in a dangerous part of the year. And Paul doesn't necessarily have a word from God about it, but he says, you know, as a man of education, he says, this isn't the best time to take off because even though it looks good now, everything could change tomorrow because we're in the hurricane season, the beginning of the storm season. But they looked around, they didn't see a cloud in the sky, and so they overcame Paul's reluctance, and they set sail. And sure enough, they hit a hurricane, and here's how Luke describes it in Acts 27, 20. Now, when neither sun nor stars appeared for many days, and no small tempest beat on us, all hope that we should be saved was finally given up. These are, this boat is filled with 276 men. Many of them are professional sailors. Many of them are professional soldiers. And then some of them are prisoners. And those are the three groups that make up this, this journey. And it, it was so bad that even the folks that had seen everything hadn't seen anything like this. And so the sailors gave up hope, the soldiers gave up hope, the prisoners who had barely any hope to start off with gave up their hope, and there's no hope left on the boat except in one dude. And they gave up hope because the storm was so intense, and the Lord told me when I was reading that, he said, tell someone that their storm is over. Can you imagine a, a storm so intense that Luke, the scientist, the doctor said, there was no distinction between night and day. It was just completely dark all the time. And that's what depression is like. That's what oppression is like. That's what a, a perfect assault against you is. And so I just say to someone here tonight, in the name of Jesus, your storm is over. If you've been in one of those hurricanes of hostility where there's been an unending barrage of adversity, and you can't even tell what day is day and what night is night, but your storm is coming to an end, my friend, in Jesus' name. And so that all faith and all hope was gone. But after a long abstinence from food, they, the whole boat can't eat because they're so, dis they're so disillusioned. They're afraid. Then Paul stood in the midst of them and said he couldn't help himself. He said, you should have listened to me. I hear my mama's voice every time I read this story. I told you so. Don't touch that stove. Men, you should have listened to me and not sailed from Crete and incurred this disaster and loss. But now I urge you to take heart, for there will be no loss of life among you, but only the ship. For there stood by me this night an angel of God, to whom I belong and whom I serve, saying, Do not be afraid. <laughs> Just touch someone and say, don't be afraid. Come on, let's, let's drive fear out of this room tonight, okay? Do not be afraid. Do not be afraid, Paul. You must be brought before Caesar. 
And indeed, God has granted you all those who sail with you. There's this couple of points there. And, and, and a person who's in God's will, a person in the purpose of God for their life, can make a whole business not fail, can stop an airplane from crashing, can stop death from coming to a city. One person in God's will can stop a huge assault of the enemy from incurring in their world. And so he's on his way to destiny. And God had granted him, and the inference, at least to me, is that Paul, in a response to this encounter with the angels, said, I know that I'm going to make it, but I want every soul on this ship. And God granted him the 276 souls. And Paul then said this about his own faith. Therefore, take heart, men, for I believe God. It will be just like it was told me. And so Paul said something. That's my whole message. I believe God. It will be just as God told me. And because Paul believed God, 276 people didn't die. God just needs one. He doesn't need everyone. He just needs one. He doesn't need everybody. He just needs somebody. One person in a family can believe for every lost person in that family. One person standing on God's word can claim, I don't care how dysfunctional, deceived, lost, or oppressed your family is. The moment you came to Christ, you came into a covenant. And the covenant is from, from the book of Joshua all the way to the book of Acts. The Bible says, if you believe, you and your household shall be saved. As for me and my house, we will save the Lord. Rahab, the heart that let down the scarlet rope. And she said, no one in my family is going to die. I'm believing for all of them. And she got her cousins and her nieces and her nephews and her brothers and sisters and her mother and father and her grandpa and grandma, her aunts and her uncles. And no one in her bloodline died because of her faith. They didn't know what was going on. They didn't believe in the God she believed in. They had no hope, but she believed God. One person believing God can see their whole family saved. Don't let the devil tell you what people say. Pastor, what about free choice? Well, what about it? Your God's bigger than free choice, and God's in the business of changing people's minds. And if you don't think people, God can change people's minds, just think about your own story. And how many times has God helped you change your mind about things that you believe that weren't right? And so God can reach them if you can believe him to do it. God can do it if you can believe it. Our job is to believe God's job is to do the impossible. God's job is to do the miracle. Here's what Jesus said in Mark 9, 23. If you can believe, all things are possible to him that believes. Not some things, not, not just a category of things, but there's nothing impossible to the believing person. This city, Auckland, shall be saved. Revival's coming to all of New Zealand. The greatest awakening this country has ever known is about to happening. God's raising up a, 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 a movement out of equippers that's going to shake the nations. Because people are believing God. Part of the gift of God in equippers church and part of the DNA of your pastor is that Pastor Sam and Kathy are people of faith. And they believed God. 
So when you ask them, how this happened, they said, we just believe God. How this happened, we just believe God. Someday we'll be sitting in, and I hope they invite me back to preach in your miracle building. And they'll say, how'd you get this? We believe God. God said it. We believed it. Now God's done it. That's all. How, how can you possibly be in 200 high schools? We believe God. We stepped out in faith. We knocked on doors. We entered into our purpose, and we pursued God's will. Oh, what God can do through one person that believes. One person that believes. And, and so for us in the church, it's a constant imperative that we reexamine our own world of faith. What do we believe in God for? What are we touching heaven about? What are we stretching out to really believe? What kind of thing, what kind of big thing? I tell people this. It's okay to pray small prayers. My wife's got parking lot favor. So when we go to the mall, she says, I'm believing for a close parking space. And, and, and I'm indifferent about that. So, so whenever I'm with her, we always get a close. Oh, look at that. A miracle parking. She smiles at me. <laughs> right there. There's nothing. It doesn't tax God to ask him for a close parking space. He's not like, oh, my. I don't know what God says. He can't say OMG. He says, oh, myself. Maiden's asking for a parking place. I'm trying to keep the universe in orbit. I'm trying to deal with 7,000 maniac, 7 billion maniac human beings. I'm trying to do, and, and there's Maiden asking for, no, God loves it when we ask him for anything. He, he, he's not perturbed. It's okay to pray small prayers as long as you also pray big prayers. God saved New Zealand. God save your family. God deliver the nations. God. Here's what happens. Acts 2.8 says this. God, Jesus on the cross is praying. I'm asking for the whole world. Ask of me and I'll give you the nations for your inheritance. The uttermost parts of the earth. I guess that's southern Australia. For your possession. Southern New Zealand, excuse me. Dunedin, I guess they, Dunedin. They said we were close to the end of the world. I've been to the end of the world. It's in southern or northern, whatever it is. Yeah. <laughs> Jesus said, I want the whole world. Well, Pastor, how, how can we possibly, through finance or resource or through the embodiment of our collective skills, or how, how can we possibly touch the world? That, that, that's not our problem. God can do that if you can just find someone to believe him to do it. Ask for nations. Ask for nations. Many years before God allowed me the privilege of coming to a nation, I've been praying for your nation. 25 years ago, we sent missionaries from our church that are still here and in Taronga as pastors, as uh, missionaries to your nation. God has allowed me to step foot in many of the places that for years I've asked him for these lands. And it's an amazing thing how God will often connect you to in a personal way to the things you believe in him and prayed about to do in, in your life. And Paul said, I believe God. Someone say, I believe God. So, so what are you believing God for? Well, I, Paul said, I'm believing that not one person will die. And if, at the end of the chapter, the Bible says, and all the passengers and all the prisoners and all the sailors and all the soldiers made it to shore. Not one of them died. Now, you know, out of that group of 276, there's a, there's a portion of them that never learned how to swim. 
You have any friends that don't know how to swim? Yeah, it's, it's, it, there are people like that all around. Don't admit it. Pastor will give you, the water baptism here will, train, will teach you how to swim. So how do they make it? Well, Paul prayed, and so they're jumping overboard, and, and the guy that doesn't know how to swim, all of a sudden a big old plank of wood comes by. He puts his arms around it. God rescued people that didn't even know God. Didn't have a thought about him. Didn't care about him. He rescued them because they prayed. Because of one man prayed. God, thank you. A lot of the success of the equippers in this moment is the prayers of other people. Prayers of a, a past generation. We're inheriting the momentum of their intercession, their faith, their devotion, their sacrifice. God, thank you for what you've done in that generation. And we want to be people of faith. Here's what the Bible says. I know this is a simple message, but I'm going to pray for a bunch of people. Hebrews 11:6 6 says, without faith, it's impossible to please God. You can't please God without faith. Because he that comes to God must believe that he is. Though most of the churches there, we're okay with that because Christians believe that God is. We, of course, believe that. In fact, a lot of agnostic people and people that are not even religious believe that there must be a God. But the, the next part of the verse says... Here's the real definition of, of faith. And that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. What does that mean? Faith is reimbursed by God. The awesome word is a great compound word for rewarder. means when an employer reimbursed an employee for any expenses that employee spent to get the job done. Whatever it takes to get the job done. When you extend your faith God will honor it. He will reimburse you. He will reward you. He will manifest his resource to honor your faith. So, here, so here's my receipt, God. I'm believing for this. So, so when I get to heaven, I want to meet this, this haggard, exhausted, huffing and puffing angel saying, I'm so glad you're dead. Work, 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 work. That's all you did. Always believing God for something new. This and that. Always pushing. Always stepping out. Oh, so, so glad you finally made it home. Now I can rest. <laughs> On my tombstone, I want it just written, you know. Uh, uh, he, Pastor Maiden, lived a life of faith. People come and study the just remarkable things, the supernatural things that God's done in our ministry. And so the, the, there are lots of people that preach better. That, that Everybody's more administrative than me. Lots of skilled people. But, but they don't get it. Faith moves the hand of God. Faith is the currency of heaven. And God will give a person with faith greater breakthroughs than a person with gifts who has no faith. And you don't have to wait. Well, I'm waiting for my gift. Just use your faith. Man, use your faith. Step into the arena. Release your faith. Keep it active. Keep it employed. There's a great verse. I'm going to close with this and pray in Second, in Second Kings chapter 13. There's a great scripture about a an example of what happens when we are somehow uh, negligent in the full embodiment of our potential use of faith. And in this chapter. Elijah is close to the end of his life. And as he approaches the end of his life, the king of Israel, uh, both out of a kind of a ritual obligation, but also out of sincerity, um, runs to 
uh, Elijah and says, man, oh man, we're going to miss you more than, than we ever thought. And uh, verse 14 says, Elijah became sick with an illness, he would die. And Joas, the king of Israel, came down to him and cried over him and said, Oh, my father, my father, the chariots of Israel and the horsemen. It was a, a beautiful phrase used in the poetry of Israel to express um, um, the departure of a leader and uh, the season of mourning. And Elijah said to him, Hey, man, I'm not dead yet. Elijah said to him, Take a bow and take some arrows. So, so there's going to be this, this visual prophetic action. And so... Take some bow, take a bow and take some arrows. So the king took himself a bow and some arrows. That's the action. Then Elijah said to the king, put your hand on the bow. So he put his hand on the bow and Elijah put his hands over the king's hands. It's a portrait, Pastor Sam and Equippers Pastors, that in the last days that God would restore the offices of apostle, the kingly office of the apostle and the prophetic office of prophets. And that when they both touched the same thing, supernatural things would happen. You live in the, the first generation since in at least probably 1,700 years where the offices of apostles and prophets have been fully restored to the church. And they're not restored just so they can call themselves apostles and prophets. They're restored to take cities, to transform uh, culture. They're, 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 they're restored to have fully equipped the church, your name equippers, that you could not be an equipping church without apostles, without prophets, and evangelists, pastors, and teachers. And so those five ministries are grabbing hold of the bow together. This is a five-fold church. This is a five-fold movement, an apostolic movement, a prophetic movement. And so together, the, pre, the, the prophetic and the kingly grab a hold of the, 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 the bow of faith, the bow of potential, the bow of the, exor the exercise of faith. And then he said, open the east window. And they opened it. And Elijah said, shoot. And he shot. And he said, the arrow of the Lord's deliverance and the arrow of deliverance from Syria. You must strike the Syrians at Aphek until you destroy them. And so Elijah said, we're in a season of deliverance. We're in a season of transformation. We're in a season of nation taking. We're in a season of multiplication. Come on now, Equippers is going to multiply many, many, many times in these next years. We're in a season of evangelization. We're in a season of signs, wonders, and miracles. We're in a season of the releasing the prophetic. We're in a season of releasing up the gift of, uh, of teachers and evangelists and pastors. We're in a season of cities being radically changed, transformed by the kingdom of God. We're in a season where people are finding their destiny. This is, the, the window is open. There's a window of opportunity beckoning us to believe God what will we do with our lifetimes how much faith will we expend and what will we believe God to do that God's been waiting to do people say well I'm waiting for God to move I wish that was the problem that's no longer the problem since the day of Pentecost God's been moving any place people would let him we're not waiting for God to move. God's waiting for us to move. Come on now. Stop waiting for some kind of external manifestation or sign. Oh, the Holy Spirit's inside of your heart saying, come on, man. Let's go for it. Let's do it. Come on. Go pray for that sick person. Go, 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 go minister to that lost person. Go show them Jesus. 
And there's nothing, there's nothing as powerful as people are experiencing Christ in a miraculous way. Go pray for the sick. Let God raise them up. Go watch what God does. Man, I, 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 I watched a girl that had been healed. Just We were just worshiping the Lord. And she came to me after the Sunday service and she said to me, I always wondered what you looked like. And I thought, well, she was visiting or maybe listened by tape, and that was her first Sunday. She said, I was born blind, and t- during the worship service, the Lord he- oh, healed my eyes. And I looked into these glistening pools of glory. I, it, it, it was hard to fathom it. I'm glazed. There was still moisture all around her eyes, a miracle. There's nothing like a miracle. Nothing testifies of Jesus more powerfully than a miraculous encounter with his supernatural ability. He said, take those arrows and shoot him. He shot him. And then he said this, strike the ground. So he said to the king of Israel, now grab that cachet of arrows. Grab it. And then here's the important point. The prophet said to the king, I'm going to step back now. You, you take these weapons. You take this window. You take this moment. You take these arrows. Now strike the ground. The king looked at the prophet. The king, absent of personal faith, reluctant to obey just out of kindness to the prophet, out of consideration for the moment, he struck the ground three times and then stopped. And this old man at death's door, Elijah, about to die, rose up with anger and said, you should have stuck the ground five or six times. And then you would have struck Syria till you destroyed it. But now you will only strike Syria three times. What had happened in a, the previous generations, Israel had lost six cities. And God said, I want everything back the devil's ever stolen from me. God said, I want everything back the devil's ever ripped off from you. It, it's the take back season. The window of take back is here. This is your take back from the devil season. This is your the believing God season. And, and, and yet God works in this massively beautiful coordination. Think about the omnipotent, omniscient, omnipresent God surrendering his capacities into a partnership with man. He said, I won't do anything you don't want me to do. And the king strikes the ground three times. And true enough, as you read forward, Israel got three of their lost cities back but didn't get the other three back. What if we prayed prayers that were beneath the intention of God for this moment? It's so important that our prayers match in alignment the intention of God. The windows open. Revivals. People talk about revival as if it's going to be this mystical thing. Man, revival is just one person on fire for Jesus. You are a revival. We have 100 people get saved every church, every Sunday at our church. We, we, we have constant revival. I'm not waiting. I, I want more, of course. There's the promise for more. I preach and pray for more, but we're having revival now. Why? Because we're, I am a revival. You can't go to our church and not get on revival. You're either going to go crazy or get on revival. We, we talk about it too much. We preach it with the encounters of God. We sometimes worship for an hour straight. No, not supposed to do it. We do that in this mega church. We do it because we're so hungry for God. This king struck the ground, and Elijah's heart melted. Oh, 
you could have had so much more. He could have had so much more. Paul could have said, well, Lord, save me and Luke and our other friend, us three, us four, no more. But Paul said, I want every soul in this ship. Give me 276 miracles. Okay, let me help you. Give me every person at this school. Give me every person in my neighborhood. I, I'm going to go through a walk to my neighborhood. Houses and neighbors I've never met, but I'm claiming every inch of this neighborhood. I'm going to drive around this city and claim every soul in the region I drive with. I'm going to fly over the country and claim the entire country for the kingdom of God. I'm going to use my faith to believe God. And someone says, well, what if it doesn't happen? You understand. It doesn't matter if it happens in my lifetime. When I die, my faith doesn't die with me. It stays on this planet. And if I believe God, and if I don't see it, then my kids or my grandkids or their kids will see it. Somebody will see the faith of someone that believed God in their lifetime. Come on, someone shout, I believe God. I ask in this moment, Holy Spirit, that you just come. You're already here, but just come and just envelop us. And awaken faith. Forgive us for not employing our faith. Or keeping it in a reserved measure. But we're ready to change the world. And so we're ready to claim our family. If you have unsaved family members... And today, you're going to make a bold statement. When Mary and I, 22 years ago, we had difficulty. You know the story. We had a large church in our 30s, 4,000 people on the weekend. Our treasurer embezzled $20 million. We lost everything. The church grew from 4,000 to 100, 120. Front page stories 10 times. Six lawsuits, death threats, bankruptcy. I was depressed. Our son became a drug addict. And my son had been on drugs for seven years. And I, I would go into his room. He was a great athlete, tremendous athlete. I would go into his room, and I'd, and I'd lay in the bed, that which he no longer, he, the moment he was legally able to, he, he left us. And I just would cry and ask God to please help my son. And finally one day God said the, this to me, stop weeping over your son. And he said this, next time you'll see your son, talk to him as if he's already in his destiny. Talk to him as if he's already right with me. Talk to me as if he's already delivered from drugs and delivered from immorality. Talk to him about as if he is where he's supposed to be instead of always reminding me of where he's not supposed to be. Yeah, don't pray the problem, son. Pray the promise. Mary and I began to talk, and I told her, when we talk about our son, let's talk like this. And so for one month, seven years we're praying, one month we, we would walk around and talk about our son being a man of destiny, a history maker, a world shaker, a man of God, a moral man, a strong man, a godly man, a destiny man, an anointed man. 30 days, 30 days. All it took when we talked about our son like that for 30 days, some, some girl invited him to a church. He hadn't been to church in years. 
He went to that church to just see that girl sitting in the back row of a church. The Holy Spirit smote him. And he fell down on the ground and shook for 90 minutes straight, they said, until all the cocaine was out of his system, until all the other drugs were out of his system. And my son never went to rehab, which I'm not against. We have a large rehab. My son never went to counseling. I'm not against that. But in 90 minutes of glory, Jesus Christ delivered my son from seven years of drug addiction. And he's a mighty man of God right now today. Yeah, yeah. Of course God can do that. But why did it happen? When we changed our vocabulary, God changed our outcome. You with me? I was driving into my church like three years ago. We have, a, we have a beautiful, massive miracle church, a $30 million property given to us, a 2,400-seat auditorium, which is filled several times every weekend. It's a miracle, miracle, miracle. But I'm driving into our parking lot, which is now almost 30 years old. And it's all beaten up, and there's divots in it. I call it the Grand Canyon. There's all these, you know, it's old, it's ugly. So every time I drive into the parking lot, I complain, oh, man, this parking lot. Oh, God, do something about the parking lot. And finally, the Lord said this to me. Stop cursing your parking lot. He said, every time you drive into it, I want you to just reach out your hand and say, I bless this parking lot to be repaved and refinished. So for about a month, I just come into my parking lot. Let's look like horrible. I said, I bless you, parking lot. I bless you. I thank God for you. God's going to do miracles in you. You're a wonderful parking lot. And the best is yet to come in your story. Well, without asking the church, without doing anything, a woman came to us and said, Pastor, the parking lot's bugging me. Here's a check. Would you please repay the parking lot? I said, yes, ma'am. I'll do it because I stopped cursing it. God can't bless it until you stop cursing it. Don't curse it anymore. So I need to stop you. Say, anyone here, everyone here that you're believing God to do something in your family, if there are unsaved families, family members or backsidden family members, would you stand up with me? I just want to begin with that. We're going to unleash the torrent of our faith that's going to unlock the abilities of our God until the hearts that are deceived or bound are reunited with their God. So right now, as you stand here, I want you to make a covenant with your words, with your prayers, with your heart, and with your faith. And simply lay claim right now, precious people. Father, we claim our families right now. I claim every family member. Come on, say their name. I claim them, Lord. I declare salvation and deliverance over their lives, their, their minds, their families, their body. I tell the devil you can't have them. We loose them and let them go in Christ's name. Come on, pray the can army. Say their names. Say their names. Say their names. Say their names. Freedom comes to your son. Freedom comes to your daughter. Deliverance comes to your house. The window of opportunity is open. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. Now, now, just by faith, part of the New Testament pattern of prayer, when you praise God, you ask God for something, and you praise God again. So let's just thank God now for the thing we just asked Him for. Lord, we thank you for the salvation of our families. We thank you revival, breakthrough, restoration, deliverance, coming to those that we love right now. That's our prayer. That's our faith. We, we trust you, God. Thank you, God. Thank you, Jesus.
from me and my house, we will serve the Lord. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Come on. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. That's what Joshua said. We're saying, as for me and my house. 